This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, podcast host Patrick Moran here. Just wanted to let you know that before I play this latest episode of the Moranalytics podcast, this was taped right before allegations came down about LaShawn McCoy, Buffalo Bills running back. My special guest for this podcast was Joe Biscalia, and Joe was going on vacation, and I was traveling to Buffalo, so we pre-taped this interview a little bit before the news broke on Tuesday about McCoy. I'm not going to comment on anything regarding him. We don't know the facts. Let's let things play out. Not going to judge one way or the other, but I did want to let you know that we do discuss LaShawn McCoy. And again, this was before any allegations of him emerged. So this was a pure football conversation that I had with Joe B. And I asked him a question about where he would rank McCoy among the Bills' all-time greats. And Joe B. gave me an answer, a very insightful answer, based obviously and completely on his football playing ability and had nothing to do with anything off the field. Again, allegations we knew nothing about when we taped this. So now that you know that and don't need to wonder why we did not address the LaShawn McCoy situation on the podcast, enjoy this interview, a tremendous interview with one of the very best Buffalo Bills reporters out there anywhere, Joe Biscalia. Let's go. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. Fact. Bears eat beets. Bears. Beets. Battlestar Galactica. Bears do not... What is going on? What are you doing? All right, I'm sorry, guys. I just finished binge-watching The Office again. Can't help myself. It's the best show ever. My bad. So, all right. Let's funk it up. Much better. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. Today is Thursday, July 12, 2018. I am your host, Patrick Moran. You'll have to excuse my silliness at the top there. Today is a big episode for this podcast. And for me personally, when I launched this podcast back on February 19th, I had a small handful of people I knew I had to have on as a guest. Most of them I've been very lucky and fortunate to have on already. Today, I had another one. I wanted to wait until after the draft and OTAs were over. So I could reach out to him. And today, I got him on the show. I'll be joined by Channel 7 Sports Director, Buffalo Bills Beat Reporter, and co-host of the very popular Bills Beat Podcast, 
I, of course, am talking about Joe Biscaglia. Today's one of those deep dive episodes at the old Analytics podcast. We're talking Joe's journey from being a sports-obsessed kid who knew he knew what he wanted to do with his life by sixth grade. And we chronicle each step of the way that's led him to his success as one of, if not the best, Buffalo Bills reporters out there today. So yeah, I am pumped to talk to him today. I also get his take on several media topics. We discuss his Bills Beat podcast, a pod that he co-hosts so well with Matthew Fairborn. And of course, yes, we do spend plenty of time talking Buffalo Bills football. You know what? In fact, let's get right down to business. Here is my interview with Joe Biscaglia. My guest today is a sports director and Bills beat reporter at Channel 7 in Buffalo. He's also co-host of what's without question the best Buffalo Bills podcast you'll find anywhere. This is a guest I've been looking forward to having for a long time now. I'm talking, of course, about Joe Biscaglia. What's up, Joe? How you doing, man? Oh, not too bad, Pat. I'm, it's uh, it's good to talk with you. And uh, yeah, you know, we kind of talked about, uh, I had Matthew Fairburn, obviously my co-host, and uh, and Tyler Dunn on, on the last uh, episode of the Bills Beat, and you know, Got a little jealous that they were both on the podcast before <laughs> me, but now 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 it's cool that uh, I'm back and I'm in the fold, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, like I said, man, I I knew from day one of starting this podcast, I needed to have you on, but I wanted to wait <laughs> for the right time. I knew how busy you were going to be with the draft, you know how much uh, work you put into that, so I wanted to wait to the draft and OTA. So I figured, you know what, this is a good time. Let's hit Joe up now before training camp starts. Yeah, I appreciate that wholeheartedly, and I was just messing with you. I, I, those those guys are great guys. I'm sure they're a blast to talk to because I have fun talking with them all the time. Big time. <laughs> but, well, you know what, Joe? Let, let's go back to the start. I want people to get to know you a little bit better besides just the work that they see from you now. Now, I know you were born in Western New York. Where exactly? Uh, I was born, um, well, I kind of moved around a little bit, but uh, I was born right in Buffalo um, when I was like, a baby. I lived in Cheektowaga for all of two years. And then, um, then my family moved out to the South towns and I grew up, uh, in Lakeview, New York, um, did the whole Pinehurst elementary thing, uh, and, and then went to frontier middle school. And then from there, I, uh, I headed to, uh, the St. Francis high school. And, you know, it was one of those things where my two very best friends were going, and, um, my, uh, I, I begged my parents, you know, we weren't exactly like the, the wealthiest of folk, but, uh, you know, they said, if you get, if you get tuition assistance there, you can, uh, we, we can make it work. And so, um, luckily I got in and, and, uh, I got some, you know, financial aid and I was able to do that. And that was super important because I, I, I pretty much grew up there and, you know, I, I went from like a, a meek introvert in, in middle school, which is kind of hilarious to think about and in, in, with my career field but right and then uh, and then I became uh you know a little bit more of who I am today at St. Francis so that's that's where I grew up and and kind of how I came to be and then you know I I headed down to uh Florida State University for a couple of years um which was great uh because you know sports everything like that it's it, it was a lot of fun you know the years that I was there their football team was awful I mean that was the uh 
the Chris Ricks, Wyatt Sexton era. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, but you know, I was there for basketball. They they beat JJ Redick and and Duke on their home court, who was number one and undefeated at the time. And I was there for that. Um, you know, there was they had the baseball player of the year there, so so that was a lot of fun. But they also didn't have a great journalism program. So I I called and sniffed around at, uh, at throughout Buffalo, and I just sent a random email to uh the program director at wgr uh, sports radio 550 andy roth and and i said hey um i'm interested in in kind of the the radio industry if there's anything i could ever do um just just uh let me know and he got back to me immediately and he's like if you come back to buffalo you let me know and so um from that point forward i decided to transfer over to buff state college and uh, and that's where i graduated from the from college when did you first know that becoming a sports journalist was something that you wanted to do with your life? Is it something that you figured out in high school or college, or is it something that you knew early on as a kid? Oh, dude, I knew when I was like six years old. <laughs> like, wow. um, I, I remember times where there were, you know, I, I was always a sports nut and there, um, you know, I'd create games, uh, in my own head, uh, for, for all these different little things. Like, um, uh, I had a couple of different things that make me extremely nerdy, but uh, you know, I, they are ex- exactly who I am. Um, we had, uh, I had this huge binder of, of baseball cards and, um, of course I'm, I'm a tad bit OCD. So I had them, um, separated by team, I <laughs> single page, right. you know, there were, there were nine slots. So I had them by position. I had to combine DH and pitcher, which was, which, you know, tore my heart in half, but you know, here we are. Um, and then, uh, and, and then I would go through and have like an actual regular season and like bring them all out as, as a team and like use like a marble with paper bases and have like legitimate baseball games. And I would do the play by play of them. I was, I was, I was ridiculous. And then I also did like a little paper hoop thing. I had all these rookie cards from i believe it was the 1996 nba draft and uh and you know i i did those little teams like that and you know kind of the same thing just this little paper ball that was you know reinforced with about five pounds of tape around it so it wouldn't break down um so yeah i did did the same thing with that and then in the driveway you know the uh you know playing basketball acting acting like there's the person driving down the street is a scout and as, as they're, as they're driving down, I, I shot the ball and it usually missed, but it's fine. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that was cool. And, um, and of course I had the, the running score, even though I was out there by myself, the running score, the, the shot clock, the, the, the play by play in my head. Yeah. That, it, it, it happened at a very young age. And then as I kept growing, the, the nerddom can continue to grow. Like I'd, created my own 64 team tournament tournament for uh the NCA football video game that I had and then I found myself doing more and more like GM roster building stuff with video games as opposed to actually playing the game hmm. and so that's that's yeah I know it's and it all started when I was very very young and um yeah it's just been kind of a a fast track I knew I wanted to get into sports and I was a pretty good athlete growing up it's but uh I I knew I probably wasn't going to make the pros. So I, 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 I wanted to be involved in sports in some capacity. And, you know, thankfully I, I am. And I, I never take it a, a day for granted. That's for sure. Who were a couple, when you were a little kid, who were a few of your favorite athletes, like your first favorites 
that you can remember being a kid? Oh, I was a Brett Favre guy through and through. And that was the time where I was I was a little bit young to where I didn't know exactly what he was doing off the field. <laughs> so it probably that probably helped the allure there for me. Um, but I mean I was I was a big time Brett Favre guy. He was and you know, I wasn't I wasn't a Bills fan growing up or anything like that. That's that's one of the things that, that shocks people a little bit. Um they're like, Oh, you're not a Bills fan, you're from Buffalo. No, I'm not. I you know, I I just like watching the game and I don't really have a lot of favorite teams and things like that. So when I was growing up, I was a Brett Favre guy and wherever he kind of went, which was, you know, Green Bay, um, I just watched him and in awe and in the types of things he was able to do. Um, and, you know, had a had a Brett Favre home and away jersey growing up. I got green paint on the on the away jersey in fifth grade one time and it tore me up. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it added character to it. Um, but, but yeah. And the biggest thrill was actually, I got to interview Brett Favre when I was uh, with GR and, um, uh, and you know, just, just to kind of like put an exclamation point on the interview. This was after he would, he had been retired, but, or has it really declared his, him being retired? Um, and you know, there's still at least a little bit of doubt that he would, that he was done. Mm-hmm. I, I asked him flat out for the Jim Kelly uh, Hunter's Hope Radiothon that we did every year when I was working there. And, and he said, yeah, man, I'm done. And it made national news. So it's like my name was attached to his for a little bit. And that was just that was just a huge thrill for me from from what I was as a little kid crying when he lost the Super Bowl to the Denver Broncos. And um, and then, you know, being able to interview him and, and seeing that. That's kind of funny, you know. I'm sure you know this. Maybe now I understand why you and Tyler Dunn are such naturally good friends because Brett Favre was his favorite athlete as a kid, too. I mean, of course, he went on to cover the Packers and stuff like that, too. Right. But I remember he, his guy, too. He was a Brett Favre guy just like you. Pretty interesting. Now, you're like six foot five, man. Were yeah. you always at, Were you always the talking in class or, you know, did you have a huge growth spurt at, at an age at a certain time that really made you get up there? In height. Well, I, well, yeah, I am six foot five. I was always the tall kid in like um, elementary school. Um, you know, growing up playing football in in Little Loop, I I would be the the wide receiver slash tight end just mm-hmm. because you know all they would have to do is toss it up, and you'll just see these hands come out of nowhere <laughs> bringing it, bring it in because they they didn't have to do anything else. Um, but uh, but then in middle school, I kind of like slowed down, um, and then I believe it was. Right after my freshman year of high school at Franny's, I uh, I went from like five nine or five ten to six two, and and it was it was on from there, and I and I grew a little bit, and um, at the end of St. Francis, I think I was like six three and a half. I kept growing. Now I'm six five. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to stop growing. I'm not sure. Uh, I might I might be eight foot tall by the end of my life. Who knows? But. No, it, it, uh, yeah, the growth spurt happened and it was like, because my, my one buddy, um, uh, my one buddy Pasquale that I grew up with, you know, he was always a, a shorter guy and in middle school and the freshman year of high school, he was catching up to me a little bit. And uh, he's like, man, you're not, you're not that much taller than me anymore. And then after freshman year, got, got back, came back as a sophomore. He's like, oh my God, what happened? <laughs> so that, so that was good. Now you you mentioned going to Florida State for two years, and then you worked your way back to to Buffalo, and you went to Buff State. When you went down to Florida, was that the first time that like you had left Buffalo? Like you pretty much were in Buffalo your entire life. 
If so, what was it like going down to Florida? And by the way, as someone who lives in Florida now, did you know at the time how much it rains between like say June and make maybe November, like every day at five o'clock or something like that? Yeah, I, I had gotten an idea of of the rain patterns. It's it's kind of ridiculous. The only the only time I had been outside of Buffalo was just for like random vacations with my family or mm-hmm. something like that. And you know, I went out to California to visit my brother out there a couple of times. But other than that, I was I was in Buffalo through and through. My parents uh, had had um, wanted to move down to Florida after I had graduated high school, um, just because. You know, my dad's a little bit older. He was 50 when he had me. And so, you know, he, it was, you know, at that point he was pushing 70 and he wanted to get down there and retire and, right. you know, because, and not deal with shoveling snow as a 70 year old man. Right. Um, so he, uh, so they went down there, they, they established residency, which fortunately for me, I was able to get in-state tuition, which was awesome because it was cheaper than ECC <laughs> sure. at that point. Um, but, uh, you know, going down there, it was you learned a lot about, I learned a lot about myself and I, I tell this to, you know, kids that are thinking about going away or, or whatnot for college from high school. And, and if they do make the decision, I'm like, you're going to learn a ton about yourself because your entire network is gone. Right. You know, you, you, you have to start over and you have to realize exactly what you are, who you are, uh, who you want to be. Um, it's a fresh start, but also a, a daunting one just because, you know, you don't know if people are going to take you the way that they did back home. So uh, that that's why, you know, I loved it. I I uh, had a, a few really good friends down in Florida and, you know, I met them straight away. One at orientation, nonetheless. And, you know, it was it was a very cool experience and I'm I'm really glad I did it. But you know, for obvious reasons, I'm very glad that I moved home because things kind of worked out for me. <laughs> sure. Now you graduate, you go to Buff State, you finish school there. How did the opportunity at WGR come about? Was that something? Did you start working there immediately after Buff State? How did that come about? Yeah, I. Um, so my junior year, uh, which was my first year at Buff State, I got back in contact with the program director at uh, at GR, Andy Roth, who's now the program director of ninety two three, the Fan in Cleveland. Um, he, uh, I, I emailed him again and said, "Hey, I'm in town." Um, would love to take you up on, on that offer to, you know, potentially be an intern for you. And so, you know, he, he, he's like, all right, get all your ducks in a row and, and then come talk to me. And then I went and, you know, talked with the professors over at Buff State and they actually didn't let me take the internship right away because I didn't have the, the prerequisites or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember I told Andy about it and he was kind of tight with one of the professors that made those decisions and he like called and chewed him out <laughs> over how stupid that that uh, that uh, that little rule was for because he wanted to get me in there. But we ended up having to wait a little bit. And um, and my my final semester at Buff State, uh, he uh, we, we finally linked up. I had the prereqs, everything like that. So I started interning there. I interned with uh, the Howard Simon show. So Howard and Jeremy, obviously. And then uh, Dan Hager, who was the producer at the time, and Nick Mandola, who was uh, also a producer and kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, great dude. Great dude. Love that guy. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have my career, uh, to be perfectly honest. Um, And, uh, you know, I interned with them for three three days out of the week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, got in at 530 in the morning, left around like 1 p.m. because I just I just couldn't get enough. And then 
my final semester, I actually took 22 credit hours and took them all on Tuesday, Thursday. So that, <laughs> that was a, that was a pretty busy week. And then I, then I served on the weekends. <laughs> wow. So, uh, yeah, so it was a, it was a hectic time, but, but yeah. And right after that, you know, um, it, I, I just soaked up as much as I could. I was a sponge in meetings, you know, I, I asked to do more and more and more, um, throughout the internship. And yeah, I'll never forget the, uh, the first time we do sports updates at GR where it's just those little like top of the hour and bottom of the hour updates yeah. just for the sporting world. And, you know, I, I wanted to learn how to do it. So I wrote a copy, brought it to Andy Roth and, and he's like, he reads one line and it didn't work out well. And he was, he's just like, Nope, this is crap. Let's do it again. <laughs> and so, and so I, I had to do keep doing these things for a legitimate like a month or so before he would actually let me start voicing them. And, you know, that type of constructive criticism was incredible to me. And it definitely helped shape me in the way that I wanted to, you know, continue to try and learn and do all those things. And then right out of the internship, uh, Andy was like, uh, I, I said, thanks for the internship. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. You're not getting out of here that easily. So he hired me as a as a part time board op, which was you know, working 10 hours a week at the start, it was me pushing a button for local commercials in, uh, uh during a NASCAR race or some crap like that. <laughs> um, all the while I, I would continue to like write and, you know, produce opens, whatever I could just to kind of like st- uh, stand out a little bit. And that continued for, for almost two years, um, being in the part-time role. So to do that, because, you know, working 10 hours a week is not sustainable for life. Right. Uh, I was actually, I was actually a bank teller for almost two years and, and just trying to find that little crack, uh, crack in the, in the window and, and, you know, pry it open once, once it was there and eventually it came and, and I said, you know, I wouldn't be in my career if it wasn't for Nick Mandola. It's because, you know, when, when Weck came around a, a former radio station who tried, you know, kick the tires on being a competitor to GR. Yep, I remember that. They, yeah. They, um, they offered a job to Nick and Nick had one of the only full-time jobs at the station and, and they, and he hooked on over there. He had his own show and everything like that. And if it wasn't for him going over there, then I wouldn't have gotten a full-time job in July of 2010. So it's, it's just weird how things work out and, you know, I, Nick is a, is a good friend. He's, he's a good guy. And, you know, I, I, I really appreciated everything that he and Dan Hager and Howard and Jeremy and Andy, Andy and everybody did for me over there because, you know, they, and Paul Hamilton, how could I leave out Paul Hamilton? Paul, Paul was integral too. He's, he's the absolute man. And, uh, you know, when I was still an intern or he, he, I think it was just outside of my internship, he did not care. He would, he, because he was then the Bills guy. And he's like, okay, meet me at the, at the park and ride, uh, just off the 90 and, uh, you can jump in my car and you come, you can come to camp. <laughs> and so it, from that, like I, I jumped in, I don't know how many times throughout the, throughout the summer. And, you know, I just learned from him, listened to him, watch what he did. And, you know, he was such a huge, huge part of, of my career too. He, he is one of the, one of the best people you'll, you'll meet for sure. I really like that perspective because, you know, sometimes People think that you just showed up out of college, showed up at the radio station, and you're on the bill sideline two weeks later. Doesn't work like that. You know what I mean? You pay your dues and, you know, and you also mentioned, and I'm glad you did this too. It takes, sometimes it takes a break. You know, like you said, Nick going to WEC afforded you that opportunity to, to get in the WGR. It's just funny how sometimes things work out in a way that you might not have expected. 
when I, I had Adam Schefter on the podcast before, and everyone, you know, he's just the, arguably the most famous NFL insider in the world. He, right. and, you know, everyone knows him as a Michigan guy. Well, he only went to Michigan because he didn't get into the first couple schools that he applied to. <laughs> and he only joined the school newspaper because everything else he tried to do before that he couldn't get into. You know what I mean? So sometimes some fate, yeah. some fate and luck is involved in what you're doing. Now, I did mention the Bills sideline. You do eventually become a sideline reporter for Bills games. Obviously, it's such a different experience than being up in the press box watching and covering the games. I'm sure it had its pros and cons for you, but I would imagine one of the pros is you probably get a perspective that's completely different from anyone else that watches or covers the games. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, absolutely right. Like, um, I mean, you can grow up watching the game and not realize the speed of the game until you're actually down there. And, you know, watching a 300-pound man uh, that, you know, you wouldn't think be able to move that quickly, but when, when the lights go on and, and it starts going, man, do they move and are the collisions violent? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a, a world of difference when you're down there. It really is. And it provided good perspective. And, you know, also being down there, listening to how the coaches interact with the players and how the players interact with each other and, you know, just, just little ways that, that, uh, they all do it. It, it gives you a, a, an appreciation for, their craft and, and what they kind of do and, you know, trying, it gives you a little bit of a window into who they are and everything like that. So that's why I'm, I'm a big proponent on uh, reading body language on just, uh, you know, just because it's, it's a great way to kind of, you know, try and figure out someone and, and what they're doing on the field and, and things like that. And, you know, that, that's part of what, uh, what came from being on the sideline. It was, it was a tremendous opportunity. I mean, I, I, I love doing that. And, you know, it was, it was fast paced. It was, it was cool. You, uh, you had to be concise in your words and because you literally, uh, as a sideline guy, you had about like a 15 second window, if that, um, to get your stuff in. And then, you know, just being able to, uh, to watch the game from that perspective was truly something, uh, uh, truly something I'll never forget by any means. And, um, and you know, it, it made me appreciate having, you know, the the ability to go back and, you know, look at the coach's film and, you know, kind of weigh what what I saw on the field from my perspective. And then from from that perspective um, altogether, it, it was it really helped me be, learn the game a lot more for that matter. Now, between being, you know, on the sidelines during games and being on the air all the time at WGR during season, because at this point you were on the air all the time as well. You weren't, yeah. you weren't pushing buttons anymore or just pushing buttons, no. I should say. It no. was obvious. I mean, I know you're not going to want to say this, but it was obvious to sports fans. You know, I got a couple of buddies that are pretty big into sports media and stuff like that. And I, I vividly remember around 2014 or so saying, yo, this dude ain't going to be here much longer. He's going somewhere else soon. And I wasn't an insult to WGR whatsoever. I love WGR. You know what I mean? I just knew that you were going to end up going somewhere else. And sure enough, 2015, you go to Channel 7. What led to you going there in 2015? Because that was big news at the time. Yeah, um, well, it it was it was really humbling to know that that somebody else wanted me, um, first and foremost. Uh and and second, I mean, I'm not secondly, but, you know, thank you so much for, for saying that, because, you know, that's it, really, really nice of you to say. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I went before even Channel 7 started. I again, I would not have um, been in the role that I did unless they 
unless they entrusted me to actually cover the bills and, and give me that opportunity after, uh, you know, right shortly after I, I started with them in a full-time capacity. Um, you know, Paul was, was nice enough to go, yeah, I'm, I'm not a football guy. You're a football guy. You go cover the football and then I'll, I'll do the hockey and it'll make us that much better mm-hmm. uh, because that's what he used to have with Chris Brown. So I was really appreciative of Paul, you know, really kind of almost stepping out of the way in, in that capacity. So that way I, you know, we, it could make us better. That, that was a, a huge sacrifice on him because he could have sat there and said, Hey, you know what? This is, this is my territory back off my lawn. But Paul is not that guy. So when I say Paul is one of the best people I know, Paul is one of the best people I know. Anyway, um, fast forward to 2015. It was just after the 2014 season. Um, I had started talking to, to channel seven a little bit and, you know, they, uh, you know, I, I had my preconceived notions of, you know, what working in TV would be like, and I didn't necessarily want to fit into the, the same mold as, as what you see so many like TV based, uh, sports reporters do. Right. Uh, because I, I really like doing the nitty gritty stuff. Sure. And I thought that's, that's kind of what helped me, you know, uh, carve a little bit of a niche within the fan base. Um, and, and so when I met with them, I, I just said, Hey, you know what? I'll, I'm willing to listen to anybody. And, you know, it, because I, I really like learning from people more than anything. And, and he said, and they, they essentially said, Hey, we just, you know, we really like what you do. We want you to keep doing what you're doing. We want you to keep writing. We want you to do all, all the stuff and that, that makes you, uh, what you are. Um, but we want to teach you TV too. And, you know, I, I, I sat and thought about it quite a bit and, you know, it, I'm, I'm never one that wants to, you know, find myself being complacent more than anything. And because I'm always looking for what's the next way to kind of evolve the strategies that we're doing within media and, um, and how do we, how do we, or how do I do something to stand out, to stay ahead of that curve? And, you know, when, uh, when that opportunity came and this was right before the, the video boom uh, on the internet came around where, you know, they started going video, video heavy everywhere. Yeah. And, and, um, and so I'm like, you know, it, it would, it would be good. You know, not only is it a, a really good opportunity to work for a good company, but, um, they, they want me to do all the things that I'm doing. And now I get to learn video stuff, which is huge because in my mind, you you can't dictate to people how they're going to consume media. You have to give them a poo poo platter of options mm-hmm. um, because and and if you don't do that, then you're you're a little bit um, I guess one dimensional or two dimensional, however however many different things you do. So the more you can do and the more ways that you can connect with people, the uh, the more successful I think you can be in media. And so you know, considering all of that. And, uh, and I, I thought to myself, all right, this is, this is the right move. And I talked to people too. I talked to, I called Andy Roth because he wasn't my boss anymore. And, uh, and he's just like, go to TV. It's a natural progression. You're going to be great. And so, um, I, I took the plunge and, and head over there as the, uh, senior sports reporter slash bills beat reporter. And, and then they named me uh, sports director in, um, July of 2016, one year later, later, which was completely humbling. I, I did not expect that in the least bit. Um, and it was, you know, being able to do that and following in the footsteps of, you know, John Murphy was the sports director there before him, Rick Azar. Um, and you know, after that, uh, you know, Jeff Russo, who's still with channel seven. I mean, those are 
those are heavyweights and uh, you know to for them to entrust me with that role that was that was incredibly humbling and you know i i i don't take any role that i have for granted and especially that one well i'll tell you what when it first happened when it went down and you went to channel seven honestly as a sports fan i was a little nervous and here's why i like the writing that you do. I've always liked Mm -hmm. your written word, your analysis. And a lot of times, Mm -hmm. you know, guys go and they become a, you know, a sportscaster for a local station. You're on the air. You might tweet a couple things and and nothing against any of them, but, but that's all you get. You know what I mean? One Mm -hmm. of the things that I think really draws fans to you is your ability to write and have analysis. And what I mean by that is this. And again, I'm not taking shots at it. I love a lot of Buffalo media. So I want that to come Mm -hmm. off the wrong way. But, you know, right. Player X signs with the Buffalo Bills. I don't need to read that Player X signs with the Buffalo Bills. Here's his stats. This is how old he is, and this is where he played before. I want to break down. I want to know how this guy fits in. One of my favorite mm-hmm. things that you've done through the years, especially now, is you always have, you know, Joe B's take. Like, you'll mm-hmm. say Player X signs, but you also have your analysis, your take. How does this guy fit in? Is he a good fit? What's his chances on, you know, where is his place on this roster? Stuff like that. I think that's something Mm -hmm. that really lacks in mainstream media I'm talking about here. As opposed to just breaking news and giving me numbers and stats. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That was something I was worried about. But you do a really good job of, probably better than anyone else I know, of really breaking things down and offering your spin and your take on things as well. Yeah, and I I appreciate that because that's something that's really important to me. um, Because, you know... I. I say this, you know, whenever I meet with some college kids for a cup of coffee or something like that, and they ask me about the industry and it's it, whether it be what they're, whatever they're interested in, TV, writing, radio, or, or all three. And I just sit there and tell them, well, you know, the, the cell phone and people, everyone having a cell phone has to make you change your game as a media member more than anything, because mm-hmm. it, it can't just be about the what anymore like right. they're, they're, you, you can't be people are able to access that within seconds on their yep. phone if they want to find out a score or who signed or their stats Go they can Wiki. do that yep exactly what they need what they what fans want more than anything at least that's what i've grown to come to know is they want context they want why they want they want information they want you know ways that the like you said the the guys slot into the roster or, or anything like that uh, for, for ways that, uh, you know, they can go and chat about it with their buddies or, or something like that at the bar. And um, uh, that's why, you know, fans these days, because of all of the information at their fingertips, literally every second of every day, you know, fans are smart. And if if you're just giving them the nuts and bolts, I don't want to say it's insulting, but it's it, you're not giving them the, the grand scope. You're not providing the expertise that you have by being inside the building every single day or watching or having that as your job. So to me, that's why, you know, when I took the TV job, I had, I had similar concerns when, when I was first approached and I thought to myself, well, writing is super important to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's the way I, I've been able to connect with people more than anything. And so I'm not going to let that slide at all. Um, And, you know, there, there might be, uh, you know, it's very important to me, even no matter how long it takes me throughout the night on a day of a game or uh, at a training camp practice, it's important to me to get that stuff out there immediately uh, as quickly as I can, because that's that's what fans have come to know me for. And, and I don't want to I don't want to, you know, let that slide at all. So when it when it came to going over to TV, uh, it it 
the finding out how to do it all with within, within a certain time frame while still having to do the TV stuff, that part was a challenge at the start. But now we've gotten into kind of I've gotten into kind of a flow and, and you know, TV stuff takes me a lot less time these days. Editing, I'm I'm pretty quick with now and, and all that good stuff. And, you know, it doesn't take me like 17 takes to do anything. I just <laughs> I just pop, I just pop in front of the camera, ad lib for two minutes and then we're good. Um, and 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 so it's it's all part of learning who you are and everything like that. Um, and so that's why it was important for me to stay true to, to that and. You know, and you're you're a good example. Like you, you just said, this is what I really like about you, and I think that's what a lot of other fans um, tend to kind of gravitate toward me about. And you know, it it still blows my mind that they people will sit there and read my stuff and care what I have to say <laughs> because because it's in my mind. I'm just like I'm just a dude. I'm just a dude who watches football, and and but you know, I guess power of reps and and repetitions and, and, you know, having all of those getting close to the 10,000 hours, the Gladwell rule, I guess, I guess that helps too. I've had several Buffalo based uh, bills reporters on this podcast. And it seems for the most part, you guys have really good relationships. You know, you travel yeah. with the team on the road and I'm sure you've gotten to know a lot of reporters from around the league who cover different beats. It's pretty safe to say that the Buffalo contingent is more close knit than a lot of others. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. Um, uh, for instance, um, Matthew Fairburn, who is an absolute star in this industry, yes. um, he, he, uh, he's become one of my very good friends. Um, and you know, uh, he, uh, didn't you introduce it, him? Didn't you introduce him to his, uh, girlfriend? Well, fiance. Yeah. D- did he tell you that? Yeah. He told me the story. <laughs> yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, my, my girlfriend and his, his fiance are best friends. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, we, we live right around the corner from each other. Um, uh, he's got a little, a year old doxy. I've got a five month old ball of fluff named Fritz. Um, and, and they're, they're the best of friends. So yeah, it, it's, it, it's really cool because, you know, I didn't expect that when getting into the media because I, I'm, I'm from here. I have, I have a really strong group of friends too that, that live here, but you know, finding that those type of bonds within a work industry has been, been uh pretty interesting I, I i didn't expect it but yeah it's super tight-knit um tyler doesn't technically work here anymore but right. he lives here and right. and he's he's always hanging out and he's just a great human um, i love tyler you know, yeah i mean he's just i've never heard a single bad word said about tyler uh, and, nice, and yeah. his yeah and he has such an incredible ability to get people to open up um, mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of within a locker room and just chatting with them and, and getting that guard down. He's, he's a very skilled reporter in that way. So yeah, th- th- this is a having, having those types of people um, in a sometimes cutthroat industry and not everyone is super tight like that. Right. It just, just, that's just life. But all that said, I mean, having those people that you're like, all right, this is, this is a pretty cool thing. It's pretty special and pretty unique, especially when you got uh, reporters punching, punching each other in the head down in Philly about four <laughs> years ago. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. Cause you know, when you cover a team or a sport, you know, like I said, you develop relationships and friendships with competing newspapers and websites, TV stations, whatever radio, you know, on one hand, these men and women, they're your friends, but on the other 
you know, you want to kick their ass when it comes to getting that right. scoop or writing the best story or having the best report. Is it ever a little bit tricky sometimes, you know, to balance that line between friendliness and competition? Because like I said, you want to win that Newsday, of course, but maybe it's yeah. sometimes that it came at the expense of one of your close friends. Or no, is that just the way it goes in the business? I think it's just the way it goes a little bit. And I think everybody kind of understands that. But, you know, I think it's a little bit different for me, though. Like, I, I'll I'll write features and everything like that. And th- those are the things I really want to do, do well. But, you know, in terms of the analytical writing, um, it, I'm... It's not as though you're competing with anyone to beat them with with the analytical stuff, because if people want to read how you're watching practice and and read what you see from the game, then they're going to do it no matter what. Um, It's not as though, you know, there's there's a race with other guys. So because of that niche, I kind of carve for myself. I don't have to feel that that competition with other people as much like if I'm trying to break a story, there's obviously competition there or, or, you know, the, the feature stuff like. Um, the, the one feature I just did on Quan Bray, I don't know if you saw it. Um, the, uh, the wide receiver who his mother was killed by, um, his father, um, when he was just about to go to Auburn university. Like I I was so nervous that somebody else was going to scoop that up. And I was like watching reporters who, and who they were talking to at the end Mm -hmm. of OTA practices and everything like that. But, you know, that said, uh, that's really the only part of it that, where you start to feel that, that pressure and it doesn't affect the interpersonal relationships at all, because we all know we have a job to do. And, and if somebody gets something really good, I go up to them and like, dude, great job on that. Or, you know, you know, how'd you find that out? That, that sort of thing. And, you know, it's just, it's a lot more easygoing. And I think that's just kind of Buffalo to a T. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's not big city living. It is a city, but it's not (laughs) all at one. And so I think that that kind of mentality shines through it with the media, especially because a lot of us are from here um, and those that are not adapt to Buffalo life pretty easily. Who's the toughest athlete that you've ever had to deal with? Now, I ask everyone this, too. I'm not saying necessarily this guy's the biggest jerk or the worst human being. I'm just saying someone who's made your life more difficult than is needed to be, whether it's a current player or former player. Someone that just, you know, kind of went out of his way to, to make your job more difficult. Huh. I'm trying to think. Um, that's a good question. I, I've i got like random Bills players rolling through my mind <laughs> <laughs> all throughout. Um, and yeah, and maybe, again, like I said, I mean, not necessarily a terrible person. Someone, I'm not even saying yeah. someone you don't like. Just someone that's like, God, right. I got to make my job so hard, man. Yeah, maybe like. Trent Edwards back in the day, um, because he did not open up at all. He was just, he was, he was tough. Like there was, he was just doing the interview to get through it. Um, and that part of it was, it's, it just sounded the same every single time. And, uh, and, you know, to his, to his credit, he was under immense pressure and he got benched within three games that season but mm-hmm. you know all that said you know he was probably one that kind of stands out others other guys some might not give you the time of day um but but most guys are they'll they'll sit there and talk to you they might not like it but i haven't i've been fortunate that i haven't run into someone who's been a complete and absolute jerk to me some guys you connect to 
and uh, you connect with and you you go outside of the realm of of the recorder which is always a good way to establish rapport with people right. but uh you know they they I think Trent maybe and keep in mind I was still a young reporter at that point so maybe mm-hmm. that's why I'm thinking it um Marshawn was another one because he didn't really care uh, if if he were standing in front of camera, if he was even <laughs> facing you when he was talking, right. but I respect, I respected that out of Marshawn. Um, you know, there, there wasn't too many huge examples of guys that went out of their way to, to make life difficult. Let's go the opposite end. Now, give me one or two guys that you've really enjoyed talking to the most, you know, yeah. always been really, I'm sure there's more than one or two, but one or two that have been, you know, most accommodating people that you're like, Oh yeah, man, I want to talk to this guy. He's always good to me. Yeah, uh, Jarris Bird um, was awesome for that. Uh, he had his locker right next to Nigel Bradham um, back when uh, they had still the the little old uh, like hole in the wall locker room in the in the uh, training center. And I used to sit there and just chat with both those guys because he was an FS he was an FSU guy, Bradham, as was I, and so we connected with that. And then Bird always you know, talked in the conversation and, and, you know, we just started chatting outside of that. And it was good to have that rapport with him, especially with, you know, the type of news that was coming out around him, you know, franchise tag, everything like that. So that was, that was a good one to have. Um, and quite honestly, I mean, I know everyone hated his tenure by the end of it, but Ryan Fitzpatrick is by far the, the best, uh, media friendly, uh, guy going. And, you know, it's because, he understood it. He knew people was going to criticize him mm-hmm. and, and the people, the two reporters that he, you know, became pretty, uh, had a pretty good bond with by the end of it all was two guys that criticized him more than any, anybody, me and Jerry Sullivan, <laughs> <laughs> because, because he, he understood the game and, you know, he didn't take anything too seriously. And, uh, he understood that we had a job to do everything like that. And he was, he was kind of a jokester too. And, you know, at, always pulling pranks, whether it be on media, PR people, uh, on the players themselves. I remember one time he hid in Paul Pislesny's locker, waited for him to come out, uh, to come around the corner and just like completely scare the crap out of him. Uh, <laughs> like that, that's just the type of dude that Fitz is. And, um, it, it really says a lot that, that when he was released the day that he was released, you know, he called me and, and was like, Hey, I know you have a lot of questions. Let's just do like a 10 minute little thing and, uh, and, and let, let's just do it. I'm, le- I'm like, okay, that's great. And you know, that, that having that sort of relationship it was, was great. And so he, he's one of the guys that, that always kind of stand out. And, you know, I remember just the year after he left, it was the, the Houston Bills game or no, 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 I'm sorry. A couple of years after he left the Houston Bills game down there, the one where JJ Watt picked off EJ Manuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone remembers that game, of course. Oh, yeah. And, Fitz, I saw him coming out of the tunnel after the game. He was so fired up that his team had just beaten the Bills. <laughs> and and he and then he, of course, by the end of it, he waited at his locker for an hour or so, waited for me and Sully to get over there. Me and Sully chatted with him for just on the record and then off the record. So he, he's just one of those guys, man. That's cool. All right, so listen, mm-hmm. you're you're Buffalo born and raised, and you're a sports yeah. guy. I'm sure you grew up reading the Buffalo News like most of us. What were your thoughts on everything that's happened there lately? I mean, for me, it's really tough to see. You're a sports guy, and I know you got friends on both sides of what's obviously becoming a developing rivalry. 
how tough is it for you to see what everything that's happened over the last handful of months? It is tough because I've gotten to know everybody on a personal level. And when, you know, when you see, and, and I'm one of those guys where uh, I don't really like developing enemies or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not a, I'm not, it, when you see like Twitter feuds happening, you'll notice I'm nowhere near them. <laughs> and that, that's your by credit. design because that's a credit yeah, to you, man. Yeah. I, I just, it's just not important to me to, you know, to get into spats and you know, it's, it's, it's not for me. It is, it, it is for other people. I just, I'm a little bit more easygoing, uh, I guess with, with that sort of stuff. Uh, if, in fact, I even like trolls and I like, you know, being, uh, throwing one-liners at trolls yeah. on Twitter. So it, you, it, you engage. That, every now and then you engage a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, I definitely engage, especially with Darlene. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. I, I definitely engage, but I mean, it's not, it's never anything taken to a serious degree. And I I usually always keep it very much at at a jovial level, but you know, having those interpersonal relationships with everybody and, um, it was tough to see more than anybody. It was, and I'm tight with a lot of people over the news that had to leave, but it was tough to see Sully go. Um, Sully, I mean, let me tell you a story about Jerry Sullivan. Okay. He, he, um, when I was a senior in college at Buff State, I had an assignment to, you know, interview a, a person in the media in Buffalo and I had to do a transcript and a little write up of it. I, I emailed him. He, he got back to me within the day and we, we decided to go to Starbucks, um, for, you know, just, just to chat. And I'm like, Hey, I won't take more than 20, 30 minutes of your time. And, and so we sat there chatting. Uh, we did the, the interview and then by the end of it, I looked down at my watch and two and a half hours had gone by because wow. we were just, we were just sitting there chatting. And from that point forward, he's like, listen, anything you ever need, you, you let me know if you need me to put in a word for anybody, whatever you need, just, just let me know I'm here for you because we, we had just connected and, you know, Sully's got this reputation as this, this jerk with some fans and you know, a condescending guy. And, and I'll admit that's how his writing comes across at times. Right. And, and you know, that's, that's kind of by design. He wants to hold teams accountable, but all that said, the dude is an absolute teddy bear. I mean, uh, he's just one of the nicest humans you'll find. And, you know, he having him do that for me way back when has helped shape me. And, you know, whenever some a college student emails me or a high school student emails me and, you know, asks me about the profession, uh, I, the first thing I'll say is, yeah, we could do this by email or do you want to go get a cup of coffee? And, and, um, and so that, that's always been important to me to kind of do that. And because of that, it, I'm really tight with Sully. And so seeing him, what, what, uh, them taking away the column and then him taking the buyout, you know, that, that, that hurt, that, that definitely hurt because I, I loved having his voice on the beat. It was, it was awesome. Um, and then, and then Bucky, Bucky too. I mean, Bucky's a South Towns guy, just like myself. I, uh, I grew up playing baseball with his little nephew. Um, I didn't know that at the time I should have known by the name Gleason because Gleason is essentially royalty in, in Hamburg. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but that said, you know, once we connected about that and we started knowing all these different people that we had in common, I mean, Bucky's just an absolute treat and, you know, uh, and then TG going from from Buffalo News to the Athletic that that was huge news too. So, uh, yeah, it's it's tough to see the paper doing that. You know, I, you know, but hopefully the steps that they've taken they've thrived because the more voices that are out there, the better it is for everybody, in my opinion. 
of all the things that happened with the Buffalo news, some of them I understood more than others, you know, I don't want to get into specific names and stuff like that, but you know, some people kind of wanted to buy out him for various reasons. But the one thing I didn't agree with and I hated was Sully's column getting taken away. Do you feel like the art of a true sports columnist is becoming extinct in today's world? And if so, do you agree with it? It is. And it isn't because now you've got the hot take artists, uh, just on video form. True. So, so that's kind of the way columns have shifted a little bit. And not to say columnists are hot take artists. I mean, some of them can come across that way. Right. But uh, you can you can have a good, well thought out columnist that that is informed and logical and everything like that. Um, but you know, I think that's just the kind of way that sort of side of media is going. And I think also what has kind of hindered the art of columns is because you know not. You're, no matter who you look at within the media industry, not many are just giving you the nuts and bolts. They're they're providing some personality and flair behind it too. They're giving you their opinion, no matter if they're just a sports reporter or actually a columnist. And so, uh, I guess the the delineation being very much blurred these days is uh, is certainly uh, goes into it. But it does stink because you know having Sully's columns out there were awesome, and you know having him really, you know, challenge conversation out there and, and create conversation within the fan base, within the media, within everything, you know, he, he, he had a really, he does have a really good mind for it. And, you know, I, I hope he keeps writing about Buffalo sports because I'll, I'll sure as hell read it. That's for sure. So do I, I think the Buffalo news in in terms of covering the Buffalo bills with Skursky and Vicky, then they'll be just fine doing that. Now we've talked about your podcast partner, Matt, a few times, we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. I want to talk about your pod in a minute. He recently mm-hmm. took a job at the athletic covering the bills. What were your thoughts on that? Your thoughts on the athletic having a Buffalo presence now. And obviously I'm sure it was very good news for you. You know, that Matt's staying in Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was. And you know, when, when, uh, that all came down, I, I think, uh, first and foremost, as a friend, I was, I was happy for him because you know, that's an incredible opportunity and, you know, he, he deserves it. He's been working his butt off over at New York upstate forever. And when he, he finally got that call and, and, you know, and was able to do it, then, you know, that, that to me is just like a confirmation of everything that, that I knew that, that everybody else knew that, that, you know, he, he was destined for, for bigger things and, and he definitely got it. And so, uh, just from a personal level, I mean, super happy for the guy and you know he's super talented he's a good writer and and uh, he's he's definitely developing into a really good podcast yeah. podcaster too a podcast host so um i was definitely selfishly i was really happy because not only do did we keep the podcast part podcast partner in tow but kept a really good friend who lives right around the corner so it, it, it all kind of worked out in the end there so i was definitely happy for him and in terms of the athletic you know uh, I'm fascinated by it. I think they um, they offer something that's really unique. And like I said before, having more voices, it, the more that are there, the better it is for everybody and the better it keeps everybody sharp. So I, I, I really appreciate them bringing another game into town because that, that means, you know, there's going to be that much more a opportunity and be, um, you know, 
I guess, gumption for people to kind of capitalize on when uh, when they they have to try and get a story and uh, complacency won't be as great um, with with the athletic in town. That's for sure. Yeah. Sports fans are the big winner. I mean, these guys yeah, are popping completely. out content now. I've seen it, you know, with the Sabres draft and, and developmental camp. I just see it on the Sabres side. Both sides are really hustling to get good quality content out. I've already seen completely. it. Now, let's talk about your podcast, okay? What made you decide that you wanted to do a podcast? You're one of the few people in the Buffalo market that truly gets it when it comes to having a quality podcast. <laughs> well, I... I... I'd like to thank my whatever seven, eight years in radio <laughs> for right. having kind of a, a good base of knowledge. But, you know, to me, I, I mentioned it earlier on. Um, it's important to me to be able to give people that, that want to uh, they want to consume stuff about their favorite team or about the NFL in general, that they have the ability to do it whatever way they like the most. Mm-hmm. And so that no matter, no matter if it's like a video sort of thing where you're, you're doing a little stand up, just break down for two and a half minutes on Twitter, or, you know, they want to read and skim through it on, on an actual written column, or if they want a podcast or if they want to jump in their car um, and listen to it, if they're on a road trip or going back and forth to work, if they're on the treadmill at, at the gym or anything like that. I mean, having that ability to take what you're doing on the go and, for it to fit into their lives is worth its weight in gold to me. So the podcast was an easy thing. It's something, as soon as I got to channel seven, I, I said to them, we need to do a podcast. And, um, and so, you know, started that off, didn't really get a good feel for it when I first got there. And then once I, I hooked Tyler Dunn on mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago, and that's when I really started feel it taking off. And it was tough with, Ty- I mean, I love having Tyler on and, he, you know, we, we joke that he's our quarterly, um, visit <laughs> that he comes on, on the podcast, yeah. uh, but it's tough with him because with his role, he's always out and about. And so you can't, you can't really have that consistency there. Uh, if we, if I need to record on say a Thursday and Tyler's often, yeah, he's on the road, I don't know, can- Kansas city. Right. So, so he's like, I had uh, Matthew fill in a couple of times and Tyler's like, look, man, you know, I love doing the podcast with you, but you know, it, I think, you know, having Matthew in there, have him on there as much as possible because, you know, you guys are here and I'm usually on the road and I'll, I'll do it whenever you want. So we kind of, we kind of shifted that way, had a little bit of a lull in between. And then, you know, Fairburn was even at the beginning of last year, he's like, Hey, we'll, we should do that podcast more. And and I'm like, you're absolutely right. And so it it became a really regular thing this past season. And man, I am, I am so happy that it is because now we turn it out like two, three times during the week, uh, during the season and um, in the off season one, once every one or two weeks, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And I've noticed our listeners are super loyal. They always uh, tweet us inside jokes and everything like that. You know, they're always asking us, hey, when when's the next pod coming out? When's the next pod coming out? And uh, and even when Matthew went over to the athletic, I think in his introductory column, I think a lot of the comments were like, yeah, <laughs> oh, so, I'm so glad you're able to stay here and keep doing the Bills beat, which is so, you know, so humbling. I sent uh, him a DM like that much. That was the first thing I asked him for. Congratulations. <laughs> or anything. I swear to God, man. First thing That's hilarious. keeping the podcast. Honestly, I think you and you and Matt have developed a legitimate chemistry doing the yeah. podcast. And I don't think the word 
you know, chemistry can be overstated when you have a podcast with someone else. You got to have that chemistry. And I think you guys are definitely developing. And I know that fans have taken to it big time. Yeah, it's it's been good because, you know, you need a, a couple of different different minds in a podcast and you need someone that uh, the, the lead chair, so to speak, which is, is something that I've kind of grown comfortable with over the time, just based on radio stuff. And and that's kind of keeping the conversation driven, you know, navigating through basically just the, the GPS of the podcast while also giving your opinions and everything like that. It's important to have because, you know, keep. If it's just an aimless conversation for for sixty minutes, then then uh, you know that's it's not going to be that great to listen to. Um, you have to have some sort of direction, even if you veer off and have some fun every now and again. That's encouraged too. But yeah, Matthew, him, him and I both have we have very similar brains. Um, we uh, we're very logically based. We both love the draft. We love the the uh, the actual like player analysis side of things and. And we both like the the featurey stuff too, so uh, it it definitely helps. And you know, I think it also helps that when during the season when we're actually able to talk to these these players, these coaches, you know, we don't really go towards the big scrum, so to speak. So we're we're able to uh, help provide some context, even if we don't write it, that uh, gives little nuggets of information too. So uh, I, I've I've been really happy with what we've done with it so far, and uh, you know, just. Hoping to keep that sucker growing because it's it's been a lot of fun and you know it, it, the hour always blows by when, whenever we talk and um it, it you know I think last time when when Tyler was here he looked at the time that that we talked he's like oh my god it's been that much time and it's like that's that's the sign of a great podcast because you don't really know that you're hosting a show well that's how I feel right now because me and you have been talking for almost an hour <laughs> and I still have yet to ask you a single Bills question which is going to change I do as we and we are start winding down I know you got other things in sure. life going on oh, all good, but man. I do want to ask you at least a couple Bills questions as we start to wind down here you've been around the sure. Bills now since the Chan Gailey Buddy Nick's era what are your thoughts <laughs> so far on the Sean McDermott regime because it feels like this is the first time in a very long time that there seems to be a true sense of direction in this organization. Yeah, you're right. And there's a plan. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I couldn't have said that about, Oh, I mean, bless buddy Nick, because that man had the best accent I've ever heard. In my life. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, I, there has been a plan and right from the offset there, you know, for however many years that I have been covering the team, no matter who who is the GM, who is the coach, and this doesn't apply to Buddy and Chan because those two were you know buddies, mm-hmm. um, but you know they just were kind of it was kind of past their uh, <laughs> their era, so to speak, in in terms of them sh- being in those roles. But you know after that, when Whaley took over, and then you know Marone and Rex and everything along those lines, it never really seemed like those guys were on the same page. And it seemed like there was always a battle on the inside. Mm-hmm. And that is never good grounds for having a successful operation. I mean, you might luck in the playoffs once in a while, uh, like Marone almost did his, uh, his one year with the Bills. But, you know, and at a grand scale, if you are not hand in hand with, with the GM and, and doing decisions like those and, and you're winning in spite of that relationship being there, then it's not going to be, you know, a, a a situation that's going to continue to be successful over time, which is why 
you know, Sean McDermott coming in and setting the tempo and really changing a lot of things over there, both on the football and non-football side. I mean, it's a completely different building at One Bills Drive since Sean McDermott came around. Mm-hmm. Um, and having that there, that was very important. And then, you know, when, when they started interviewing GM candidates, you know, they, they can sit there and say they were thinking about all of them, but come on. I mean, he worked with Brandon Bean. We, we all kind of knew that Brandon Bean was the favorite and he had to do something. He would have had to done something to really screw up the interview to not get that job, I, I think, because they were tight. They were tight in Carolina. They developed a good rapport there. And so uh, having that and uh, having that kind of relationship was huge to them. And Sean knew that there was a GM coming along and Sean not taking a quarterback in that first draft when he knew they were about to change GM was important. They didn't even uh, they didn't even draft any of the bigger positions. I mean, they drafted an offensive lineman, they drafted a corner and they drafted a wide receiver. Their first three picks. They didn't draft a franchise middle linebacker. They didn't draft a franchise quarterback. They didn't do any of these other things that uh, that are finger quotes more important on the football field because he was kind of waiting along to to see who his GM would be, so that way he would have a strong say and feel like he had some control over his destiny as opposed to you know walking into a situation where there's already a quarterback that he didn't pick. So that that part of it is a very small um, part of the relationship that kind of goes unnoticed. But the fact that McDermott didn't take a quarterback his first draft is uh is definitely has definitely helped them you know create that bond even tighter and i think it's it's just going to help them i i do think this team will probably take a step back this year mm-hmm. but you know they're they're building for two three years down the line uh, and and having sustained success and not just being a flash in the pl- pan playoff team every once and again you were the first guy last year to notice eddie arbro in camp who seemingly <laughs> you know he seemingly came out of nowhere and he became an important player a contributor on the team who do you think is the top candidate this summer to be this year's Eddie Yarbrough? Or is it way too early uh, to know that? It is a bit early because I didn't know Eddie Yarbrough would be Eddie Yarbrough until uh, like day four of camp. Uh, you know, it, I could go back and I could get out my notebook right now. And um, I think he was still number 54 at the time. Or I know he was 75 at the time. Um, and I kept writing in my notebook. 75 flashes again and then i would note 75 with with like a big uh, square around it and then a star it seemed like every single day he was doing something and so once the pads go on i think that's that's going to be a really good uh determiner of success um but i i guess maybe a couple of guys that could stand out this year it's all about opportunity right right um wide receiver is a is a huge, huge area where there's a guy that can, that can steal a spot. And so I look at someone like Malachi Dupree, um, who was with the first team, um, at the start of minicamp, or I'm sorry, at the start of OTAs. And then he hurt his hamstring, but he was with the first team unit. And of course, Zay Jones isn't there, but this is a guy who was on the practice squad all last year. They know all about him. They signed him right at the end of the year. Brandon Riley gets all the popularity and the buzz, but Malachi Dupree was on the same track as Brandon Riley. And I think Dupree is far more talented than, than Riley. Um, and so I, I wonder if maybe he's the guy that can kind of carve out a role for himself and maybe someone on the defensive side, like, I don't know, Levi Wallace, the, the undrafted corner out of Bama, who's just got a ridiculously Sean McDermott style story where he was a zero star recruit, uh, was playing flag football at one point at, uh, at Alabama, walked on, uh, got into the program, eventually became a scholarship player, and then started for 
uh, a team full of four and five star recruits. I mean, that uh, that is Sean McDermott loves people that have had to earn it. And so I wonder if maybe Levi Wallace might be one to watch out for, too. What do you think the rookie ceiling is for Tremaine Edmonds as a rookie? I mean, hopefully he's going to grow into, you know, a Pro Bowl middle linebacker. But as a rookie, realistically, how good do you expect him to be this year? I think he could compete for rookie of the year. I do. And that's out of sheer sheer numbers because those awards are based off numbers more than anything. I mean, unless you have a Marshawn Lattimore who is just a complete shutdown guy like he was last year. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, that's why you see... Most times, if you go through the history of the Rookie of the Year award, you're seeing running backs and linebackers get the large share of it. Um, so that's why I think he, because he's going to be out on the field 100% of the time, uh, he he could end up being one of those guys that are in the consideration. I look at him and Roquan Smith as like my two favorites right now for, for that Rookie of the Year honors. But in terms of actual on-the-field talent, um, as long as he shows a little bit more in coverage than I saw at Virginia Tech, then he's progressing in the right way. And what I mean by that, he was just a little bit slow to pick up some things sometimes. And that was one of his lone detracting things that I had in my notes on him as I watched him before the draft. Um, maybe maybe slow to pick up the run a couple of times. But, you know, Sean McDermott also has a very good track record with middle linebackers. So I, I would tend to think he's going to get a lot of one-on-one time with the head coach, as he has already and um and progress a little bit um i don't think he's going to be an all-star pro bowl stud luke keekley guy right away i i think that's putting a little bit too much on the kid he is after all only 20 years old and he will be only 20 years old for the entire nfl season his birthday is on may 2nd so from that perspective you know expect a lot in terms of how much he's going to be on the field but he is going to have growing pains because he's still a very young guy, no matter how big and, uh, I guess, uh, daunting he looks uh, just just on the look test. One more Bills question, and then we'll wind up with our little mini lightning round. Where would you rank LaShawn McCoy on the list of Bills' all-time great players? Is he like a top 10 guy, top 15, top 20? Where does he fall in right now? Well, recently, he's definitely a top five guy because they haven't had a lot of great guys. <laughs> Very true. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, I think he's probably a top 15 guy, top 10 guy. I think he deserves a spot in the Hall of Fame. Um, I don't know if he's been here long enough to to be higher than top 10, top 15, because then you've got, you know, the, the Thurmans, the Bruces, uh, you know, all those guys. I mean, um, cookie back in the day, uh, was, was a big, big guy. Um, you know, I think he, from a talent perspective, he might be the most naturally gifted running back that they've had. And that's not to take anything away from Thurman, um, because Thurman was an immense talent, but, but LaShawn, his ability to cut and to not take a hit and to speed down the lane and his vision. I mean, all of that is just, incredible to watch and you know I, I i honestly don't know how long he can continue to do it um because once the speed goes i think the rest of his game is going to kind of really dip uh but you know he's still 29 he's running at a great pace and uh, you know by the end of it if he's here through the the remainder of his contract you know i think there is a legitimate conversation to be had about him maybe one day even getting on the wall of fame uh, because he's been so excellent that uh, throughout his time here that, uh, you know, regardless of where he started or 
maybe where he ends his career if, he, if it's not in Buffalo. I mean, that that is a Hall of Fame caliber player that's that's on the field for them every single week. So I I think I think he's probably in the top ten to fifteen in terms of his his role in Buffalo. Let's finish with the mini lightning round. All I'm going to do is ask you a small handful of random questions. Not a ton of okay. thought required. Whatever pops in your mind, just spit it out. Cool? Okay. Sure. Done. All right. Favorite non-sports-related activity to do? Ooh. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Watch crappy reality TV. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, my my girlfriend, Sarah, and I, we, we dive into that. Because it's, it's great to, you know, just turn your mind off and you know watch watch people i'm i'm a huge survivor guy that that's not that's a thing no one knows about me i'm a huge survivor guy and if i ever could i would love to go on that show <laughs> favorite city to visit ooh favorite city to visit um probably orlando uh, uh sarah and i love disney and we're going there for a couple couple of days this summer and so that's that's one that uh you know it's awesome. I mean, it, it, Epcot as, as an adult is incredible. <laughs> Who's the most entertaining fellow Bills reporter you know? Tim Graham, because you never know what's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> I totally believe that. That's easy yep. to see that. What's the yep. What's your favorite sports movie ever? Favorite sports movie ever is Hoosiers, and I actually was able to go to the Hoosiers gym a couple of years ago with. Uh, with Tyler, Matthew Fairburn, and Tim Graham, and we got to play there. We got a tour of the whole place. I got to dunk on on the Hoosiers' hickory rim. It nice. was awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. All right, this is probably going to be a really tough question for you. If you had never sure. got involved in sports journalism in any capacity, which, again, you, we've been talking, this is something you know you've wanted to do since you were a little kid, but let's just say yeah. for whatever reason it didn't work out, what do you think you may have wanted to do with your life? I think, uh, and I was, it's funny because I actually was at a crossroads when I was still the bank teller and a part-time guy at GR because I didn't know if that full-time gig was ever going to come. So mm-hmm. I was actually like the week before Nick decided to leave, I was looking into, you know, grad school and, and outside of the Buffalo area. I was looking at like UF, uh, North Carolina, USC, stuff like that. And, uh, I was considering going to get my master's and doctorate to go be a, a uh, communications professor somewhere. Uh, so probably that. Uh, but like I said, that week is when Nick and Weck kind of happened. And it's really funny how things kind of turn out in it. Yeah, it sure is. Second, <laughs> last question here. If Twitter were to send you a note and say, Hey, Joe, you're only allowed to follow one person now on Twitter and one person only, who would it be? And why? I think I'm going to have to go with Shea Serrano. I'm a huge NBA guy mm-hmm. and I'm a huge office guy and he combines both of those things really well. And uh, he's just got a hilarious personality. He's, he bombards your timeline, but he's, he's absolutely hilarious. I, I love when he writes something for the ringer and, uh, and he's like, this is the most important thing I've ever written to every single piece he's ever done. Um, and then <laughs> And then he uh, he'll also um, say, you know, 92 weeks uh, since I started the ringer. Thank you, Lord. I haven't been fired yet. <laughs> it's just, it's just stuff like that. He's it, he's a personality. And and that's why I think it's very important to, you know, have that sort of color when you are on Twitter. And 
not just be a news bot or a sports bot. You have to have a little bit of personality. Last question here. Standard question. I ask everyone the same thing. Three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive. Who you got? Sports? Anything you want, any era. Anyone. Uh, let's see. I got to go Favre just because of my childhood. Um, Favre's in there. Uh, give me LeBron because that dude is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'll go with Malcolm Gladwell um, for his mind. And um, because it, I, I love listening and, and reading to Gladwell. I think, you know, the way he kind of, uh, you know, approaches things and the way he thinks it's it's good it's 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 definitely helped create some perspective for me throughout throughout my life and you know I, one of his books that kind of changed the way i thought about a lot of stuff was outliers and um in the randomness of life and yeah and then you know the the work ethic of life it's it's all important and he uh so his mind is definitely one where i'm like okay i, I would love to just be able to sit down and pick that guy's mind all right, Joe B. Joe, thanks so much, man. I really love your work. Love the Bills Beat Podcast. Cannot wait to see the work you do with the Buffalo Bills this year. Big thrill. Good gift for me to have you on this pod. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I've, I've been looking forward to it, and, and it did not disappoint. I was definitely uh, the deep dive in, in the, into the soul. I love it. So <laughs> thanks for having me, man. All right, that's a wrap for that interview and also for today's podcast. Huge thanks one more time to Joe Biscaglia for a fun interview. Dude, Joe's the man. There's really not much more to say. He's as good at what he does as anyone in the sports reporting game today. Great guy, solid personality, takes his craft seriously, yet he doesn't take himself too seriously. Love that about people. Joe's awesome big thrill to have him on been trying to have him on for quite a while so for it all to come together today i'm really pumped about that you know what else i'm pumped about all you subscribers go to itunes and subscribe to this wonderful charming podcast it's quick it's easy it's completely free it literally takes you about five to ten seconds to do And then new episodes will automatically get sent directly to your phone or to your computer. You can play them, cherish them, keep them forever, or delete them after. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. You can also find this podcast at Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, basically anywhere that future award-winning podcasts are heard. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. Have a nice, safe weekend. I know I'm going to have a good one. I'm back in Buffalo for about a month, so I'm really looking forward to seeing family and friends and doing a lot of fun things. Talk to you guys again on Monday. Peace out.